Thank you, those on the platform. Check, check. How do I sound out there? Sound good? All righty. Amen. Thank you for all those on the platform. Again, I want to thank your pastor, uh, Renee, his wife, Wendy. Um, you know, thank you for having us here. Thank your pastor for the opportunity. Like I said, my wife. My name's Josh. My wife's name is Emily. We're pastoring in the Copperfield area of Houston, trying to break through, trying to see people get saved and uh, pray for us. There's multiple things uh, in the air right now as far as a location to start doing Sunday services, a building. I also pray for my wife's family. There was recently uh, our, uh, the, the, the grandmother, my wife's grandmother passed away. It was all of a sudden, we're going to the funeral this Friday. Please pray for us. Uh, pray for just comfort in that, that God would help us. Um, and with that said, let's go ahead and get ready for the message tonight. Uh, Hosea 1.10, turn to your Bibles. I want to minister a message called Same Place, Different Story. How many of us come from a hometown? How many of us have a hometown place? All right. If, if I were to ask you where you were from, many of you would tell me, oh, I'm from this place, I'm from Texas, I'm from Louisiana, I'm from Houston, I'm from Chicago, I'm from L.A. And every single one of us would have a place that we can look back at and say, oh, that's, that's where I'm from. I and mean, how many of you have ever gone back home? You know, I'm, I'm, right, right? When you go back home, you start cruising, driving down the same old familiar streets, and you're like, oh, man, hey, hey, hey. Remember, you start telling your, your whoever's in the car with you, hey, hey, right there, bro, I got into a fight. Or, hey, over there, bro, we used to get ice cream from that Walgreens. Oh. And you start kind of reminiscing a little bit. And you start talking about the good times and, you know, you start t- having a conversation. And, you know, in, in certain places... Uh, bring things out of us. Like when I went back to California, I was like, man, I haven't been in LA in so long. Everything's changed. You know, I didn't remember it as I used to. But how many know that's the same way spiritually? There are places in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds, and in our spirits. And sometimes those places are not always the places that bring us joy. They're not always the places that are places we like to look at. They worry us. They bring frustration. There's brokenness associated with that. There's pain, rejection, sorrow. This can be a physical place. It could be in our minds. It could be in our souls. But we look upon that place, and it's like, this has not changed. This has not been healed. How many of us have those places in our lives sometimes? Sometimes there's certain, there's certain places that in my heart and in my mind, or if I was physically there, I'm like, I can't go to that place. It's too painful. And some of us can live with these things in our heart. We can be burdened by them. We can be weighed down, have no joy. But I want to tell you, we serve a living God They can take those same places and he can give them a different story. We can look at those places once again and have victory, joy, and spiritual fruitfulness. We're going to read in our text a promise that God has given his people that are suffering the consequences of their idolatry and how God is going to restore them because he loves them. Hosea 1.10 
Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it will say to them, you are not my people, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Let's pray. God, I pray your hand upon this message, upon this congregation. Lord, that it would stir God in them. God, they would breathe new life in their hearts and in their lives. God, that you would give them victory over areas of their lives where they've had it's been associated with pain and sorrow. Write a new chapter that if they ever go back to those same places, it would be a different story for your glory. God, I pray in Jesus name. Amen. Firstly, I want to look out. I want to look at the fallout of unfaithfulness. First, we have to ask the question, how important exactly is faithfulness in life? We are taught to be faithful in order to be good Christians, right? We learn to be faithful to our jobs, be there on time, do a good job, be responsible, take care of your tools, treat the customer right. We're taught to be faithful to our families. Hey, raise your kids right, uh, uh, discipline them, provide for them, do what you need to do to make sure your family has uh, food in the fridge, a roof over their heads. We're taught to be faithful in our marriage. Don't cheat. Learn to build on your marriage. Learn to build. Have a relationship with your wife. Focus on her or your husband. People, but people that are unfaithful, how many of us know, in any area of life, they're not reliable. And they cannot be trusted. Can't trust them with anything. You give somebody a screwdriver, they don't ever bring it back. Or they bring it back and it's broken. You let a sister borrow a, a flat iron, comes back broken. <laughs> That's never happened. You know, I'm just, I'm just shooting in the dark here. I'm just giving you an example. Unfaithful people can potentially cause harm, chaos, and destruction in other people's lives. See, this is the type of people Hosea is trying to deal with. People who are unfaithful to the to their living God. See, Hosea is the prophet that was called to the northern kingdom of Israel. And it was in this time where he was called in a time of prosperity under King Jeroboam. But because of this prosperity, the people of Israel, the northern kingdom, began to turn away from the living God and began to turn to the to other gods. Hosea 1.1, it says, In the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. He was the one that was ruling in this area. Israel began to serve idols, false gods, reaching out to the surrounding nations. So what God does is that he instructs Hosea to do a real-life skit, a live-action illustration. God instructs Hosea to marry a woman, the Bible says, of whoredom which is a prostitute, and to have kids with her. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, what would I do if God told me to do that? You know, this isn't a metaphor. He's saying, no, I literally want you to go and marry this person who is unfaithful by nature. You know, what would go through your mind if I was Hosea? Like, what? what? You would have, I would have said, God, I have to pray about that one. But why does God ask him to do that? Hosea 1-2 says, For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. Because they were forsaking the Lord, God now has to say, Listen, I'm going to have to have you do something in order to bring these people back to me so they can see. 
what they're doing. Because Israel has forgotten their God, God wants them to know, to, to know, to now see how he sees their unfaithfulness through Hosea. God wants to get a reaction from them to wake them up and to shake them to repentance. So God is saying, hey, go marry this woman. Have kids with her. She's going to be unfaithful. And what is God trying to tell the, uh, the people of Israel through Hosea? He's saying, this is what God is basically saying. You know what, Israel? You were never faithful to begin with. You were already sleeping around with these other gods before I even met you. But out of my love for you, I pulled you out of your insanity and I made you my own. I gave you honor. I made you an honorable woman. I gave, this is God saying, I gave you covering Israel. I gave you security. I blessed you beyond your wildest dreams. How many of us know, man, when you get saved, man, this is what God does. We were already unfaithful to begin with, but he pulls us out, makes us his own, and blesses us, heals us. Yet after all that I've done for you, this is God speaking to Israel, you still went back to the streets. This is who you are, Israel. Unfaithful. Joshua 24, 2. It says, and Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord God of Israel, your fathers, including Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, dealt on, dwelt on the other side of the river in old times, and they served other gods. Listen, Abraham's father and grandfather were not people of God. They were serving other gods, but that changed with Abraham. But this is what God is pointing to. Is that, listen, don't think because I've blessed you that you've always been that way. Don't raise your hand to any of the questions I'm about to ask. <laughs> but I want you to think. How many of us have ever been cheated on? How did it make you feel? That feeling of being betrayed. How many of us were the ones that were doing the cheating? It's not the best feeling, especially when you're on the receiving end of that, when you're the one who was faithful and genuine. So the imagery here is meant to make us uh, uh, feel something, to get us to emote. Now, if you see somebody, like it's, it's, like, seeing, it's like seeing Hosea walking down the street with his wife, and you recognize his wife, and you're like, yo, isn't that so-and-so? And look what he's doing to him. How dare she? Man, how are you going to do my boy Hosea like that? How are you going to? But as people would begin to see that same thing, it builds an emotion in them. God is saying, the way you feel, that's how I feel about you. God did the same thing with David, sending Nathan the prophet. David sins with Bathsheba. Bathsheba, he kills Uriah and tries to hide the sin. Nathan the prophet then has a word for David and he begins to give him this uh, parable about a man and his baby ewe lamb. David being a former shepherd, knowing what it's like to be a shepherd and to take care of the sheep, he it plucks his heartstrings and gets him angry. In 2 Samuel 12, 5 it says, And David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And Nathan said, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. 
and he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and he ha- and because he had no pity. David said to David, you are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. So this is the exact same thing that is going on. Through Hosea, God is showing Israel a picture of their unfaithfulness. Nathan the prophet gave him a story to show David what he had done. The story, the parallel, the the parable. This illustration had his desired effect on David to get him to see how God sees his sin. Hosea begins to feel how God feels about his people's unfaithfulness and hopes that the people see the same way that they, that God sees them and they can turn back to him. And Hosea began to have children with his women. And all the names of his children represent what God is speaking over his people in judgment. One of his sons is Jezreel. He says, you know what? I'm naming my son Jezreel to punish you for what you did to him. And then the second child he has is called no mercy. I will not have mercy on you. And finally, the third child, is fi- it's like complete rejection, not my people. Imagine that being your name, a phrase, a negative connotation. You know, when I was in Chandler, I, um, uh, I was... Uh, I remember I had dreams like three nights in a row about, you know, my wife being unfaithful to me. And I would catch her and be like, what are you doing? My wife, she is the most faithful woman in the world. I'm telling you right now. It was a dream, but I had it three nights in a row. And I'm like, what what the heck is this? You know, and, you know, I'm in prayer and I'm like, I'm like, God, like, and each and in the dream, each time I asked her, she gave me a different reason, you know. But when I would wake up, I would feel some type of way. Right? Y'all know what I'm talking about. If your wife wife has a dream about you, but she's mad at you for something you did in her dream. But I remember it happened like three nights in a row, bam, 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 to where I had to begin to pray about it. I'm like, God, what is this? Okay, why am I having these dreams? What's the point of them? I'm not insecure. My wife's not cheating on me. What's, What's going on? And no later that I said that, God spoke to me. I mean, I remember it so clearly because it, it, it stopped me. God said, that's how I feel when my people cheat on me. And I was like, whoa. I said, God, have I been doing that to you? Is that how you feel when, whenever I stray away or whenever I'm not doing what I need to do to honor your name? I mean, it literally stopped me in my tracks. See, this is much of what the Holy Spirit wants to get us to see is how far we really are from God. Because of Israel's unfaithfulness, God had to pronounce judgment over his people Israel. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. Now Israel is in this place because of their decisions where judgment will come to pass. Most of the world right now is not saved. They are in judgment of God's wrath unless they repent. All the problems and the issues in the, we know, uh, in the world we know are because sin is rampant and people don't know God's word. God himself in this text is rejecting his people. Now God's word acts as a form of judgment. And if you're living in sin, you are in judgment of God's wrath. John 3, 19 through 20. And this is the judgment. 
The light has come into the world and the people and people love the darkness rather than the light because of their their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works be exposed. In our text, it says, and in this place, what place? It's talking about this place where God is pronouncing judgment on them. And in this place, it was said to them, you are not my people. See, we cannot live in sin and be children of God. We cannot live in transgression and still say that we love God. We can't live in iniquity and still say that we're born again. It's the opposite. Because God has to tell you, you are not my people. Now, all the consequences of our sin, how many of us know, fall on us. Evil begins to reign. The curse of sin now is at its most potent and most powerful. Death, sickness, and darkness begin to consume our lives. And this is the fallout of unfaithfulness, not only for Israel, but for many of our lives before we were saved. This is the reality of unfaithfulness for people that are not saved, don't know Jesus. Secondly, I want to look at the crossfire of judgment. See, we live in a broken world and crossfire, that phrase is when two lines of fire intersect, making a dangerous intersection. In combat crossfires, when two or more, when, when they're shooting from two different uh, sides and they begin to come to one place where that's like a no zone. You don't want to be caught in crossfire. How many of you have ever been caught in crossfire? Whether it's real crossfire or people are arguing and you walk in between them and you're like, well, it's not a place you want to be. In the spirit, it's where the wages of sin and God's judgment intersect. The unfortunate reality of God judging Israel is that there are victims in the crossfire that have not contributed to the sin of this of the nation. How many people are innocent out there that are um, are victims of other people's bad decisions. You could think about any situation in life where somebody wasn't thinking, they were being selfish, and they did something, and little did they know, it affected all these other people they did not intend to hurt. We've all been there. Hosea 4.3, Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish. Sometimes in the place of God's judgment for other people's sin, we too are affected by it. Deuteronomy 5.9, For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me. We see how sin can affect the generations that come after us. The demonic then has a foothold. Sometimes when parents partake in a sin or they speak words or maybe involved in witchcraft, the children are affected. Sometimes physically, ear infections. Sometimes when you see kids with ear infections or deafness, sometimes there was a, a spirit of illegitimacy. Sex before marriage. Sometimes asthma, there's a spirit of fear attached to that. Different other ailments as a result of someone's sin. 
The phrase, the sins of the fathers, means that sins committed by our ancestors have the ability to play out in our lives today. This is the same thing as generational curses. People, innocent of any crime or sin, receive the effects of that sin. Ever have to deal with something that you had nothing to do with, but somebody close to you or somebody you know did something, and now you're the one that has to clean up the mess? Right? You know, when you're kids, it's funny, you know. Your, your sibling does something, and then you get in trouble for it, you get spanked. Like, it was him. But in life, as we get older, things play out to where I've seen and I've known people that have gotten killed, murdered because they were looking for somebody else, but they found this person instead. Or maybe you're the one making the mess and making it for difficult for people around you. They're picking up your mess. I've been there. I was the one making the mess of my life and making it hard for people in my life. I have no doubt that in this uh, in the northern kingdom, in Israel, there were people who were serving the Lord and not the false idols. How many of you know when Jesus said, uh, how many of you all know that Jesus said, we are in the world, but we are not of it. Yet we still have to wrestle with the reality of the sinful nature of the world and the spiritual realm. Just because we got saved does not mean we're exempt from painful experiences, having a bad day, or even persecutions. These are the last days. Jesus is coming back. You will have to deal with people who despise you for your faith. You'll have to weather the storms of life. You'll have to withstand the attacks from the demonic. You have to deal with the physical limitations of your body. There is a plethora of issues and problems that an unbeliever will face that a believer will have to face also. We're caught at times in the crossfire of God's judgment. And what I mean by God's judgment is that God's word has already been spoken plainly to us. You want to know what God thinks about sin? Read the Bible. You want to know what he says about homosexuality? Read the Bible. You want to know what he says about this or that? I guarantee you, you'll find it in the word of God. And God is unmoved by what he says. Sin will send you to hell, but Jesus Christ can save your life from that. See, man chose to disobey God in the garden. And God had to judge Adam and Eve. He pronounced a curse because they sinned. Had they not sinned, there would be no curse. God must separate himself from all sin. Anyone who stands before the Lord without holiness themselves would be, would be punished. Listen, I know it sounds like fire and brimstone, but I promise you, I got, I got a point. Is that God is holy. God has to draw a line somewhere. When you won't draw the line, God will. And if you cross that line, don't expect God to move that line for you. God says, no, this is my will. You step over that line, you're out of my will. You're, you're not of my flock. See, Moses couldn't even see the Lord face to face. Moses was like, God, I want to see you face to face. And what did God say? Okay, I'll come down the mountain. But you have to turn away from me, and you have to look at the rock. And the Bible says Moses looked at the rock, and he saw the reflection of the Lord. And when Moses turned, he saw his back. 
God, Moses could not even see God face to face. And it says, without holiness, no one can see the Lord. This is how holy God is. Judgment, God's word has already been spoken and one day it will come to pass. For example, the Bible tells us about people that live in sin and who refuse to repent. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual, sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of heaven. Listen, God's word, this is his judgment. God's already passed judgment on things that are going on in our lives. And if God speaks it, it will come to pass. We cannot escape the death that sin brings. How many of y'all know that? See, this is why that even today, even after being born again and covered in the blood of Jesus, we still physically die because sin has corrupted our bodies. We cannot physically live forever anymore. And we still have to stand before Jesus. That's the power of sin. What does the Bible say? It's appointed a man live once, die, and then comes the judgment. It's appointed. Paul, for with all the heart they had served God with, still endured hardships in his life, sickness and persecution. I think about Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, friend of King David. He was crippled because ultimately the sins of his grandfather, King Saul, caused not only his father to die, in battle, but caused turmoil in his house where uh, the, the nurse picks up Mephibosheth. He's only five years old. She's trying to escape, and she drops him, and he's crippled. He's caught in the crossfire of judgment because his father, King, his grandfather, King Saul, disobeyed God and refused to repent. I wonder how many people in this place and in our lives, in a place of pain, rejection and sorrow because somebody close to them or related to them disobeyed the Lord and refused to repent. We are indeed blessed, but we still have to fight off the world in our own flesh. We have to fight off the devil. Listen, the devil will fight you all the way to judgment day to, to keep you in your sin, to, keep, uh, to make you backslide, and to cause these places that bring pain and unbelief. And if we come out of those seasons, he wants us to be traumatized. Oh, he's saved, but look at him. He's neutralized. Oh, he'll, he'll never be the Christian he used to be. Listen, you see what she went through? <clears throat> She'll never be the prayer warrior she was before, after I make her go through these things. We can be traumatized by those places that the curse of sin helped create. Not everybody gets saved. Not every prayer gets answered. Not every sickness is healed. Not every blessing is seen. And not every witness is fruitful. Places in our lives that seem to remain broken in our minds and in our memories. <clears throat> uh, uh, Bezel A. Van Der Kock <laughs> He wrote a book called The Body Keeps Score, Brain, Mind, and the Body in the Healing of Trauma. And this is what he says. Traumatized people chronically feel unsafe inside their bodies. 
The past is alive in the form of gnawing interior discomfort. Their bodies are constantly bombarded by visceral warning signs. And in an attempt to control these processes, these processes, they often become expert at ignoring their gut feelings and in numbing awareness of what is playing out inside. They learn to hide from themselves. At one point in my life, that was me. And sometimes I can see myself in that place. Places where infirmity won. Places where the devil got the best of you. Places where you know you failed to make the right decision. Places that exist in our lives where we don't see any hope anymore. Places that we see and think God has done. Like the northern kingdom, Israel, it is said, you are not my people. We go through things and that place makes us feel like we're not the people of God. We can go through things that make the, um, the believers say, God, you've forsaken me. Why am I going through this? Have you forgotten about me? Are you punishing me for my sins? The crossfire of judgment is a reality at times. But it doesn't have to be the same story anymore. It can be a better story. I want to give you hope tonight. Lastly, I want to look at the God of promises. See, I want to encourage you that despite the fallout of unfaithfulness and the crossfire of judgment, God's faithfulness restores the fallout and shields us from the, cro the crossfire of his judgment. Let us jump back to our main text, Hosea 1.10. Let's read the first sentence of that verse. Yet the number of the children of Israel shall be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered, measured or numbered. Hosea is calling back to a promise the Lord made to Abraham in Genesis 22, 17. I will surely bless you. This is God speaking to Abraham. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the sea seashore. Hosea is reminding Israel that despite their sin and the Lord's judgment, on their lives, God is still honoring the promise he made to Abraham to bless them. Because of the faithfulness of this one man, Abraham, God keeps his promise to Israel. Hallelujah. Amen. Because of the faithfulness of one man, Jesus Christ, God is going to honor his faithfulness and still save you and still rescue you. Or perhaps the faithfulness of your life. Man or woman, God can cause a reversal to be in the place of rejection and the pain of that place to be restored and it could be a place of adoption. That same place they brought pain because of our unfaithfulness and because of the judgment, it does not mean we have to, that place has to be associated with pain anymore. This is the gospel that the same judgment, the word of God, that is at work in the world is the way that God will draw us to himself. Why? 2 Corinthians uh, 7.10 says, For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas godly sorrow produces death. Listen, when, when God's trying to get a hold of your heart, he will cause things in your life to try and steer you in the direction of his son Jesus.
the faithfulness of one man, like I said, Jesus allowed the sins of the world to be forgiven. And that same blood that was shed on the cross is still available to you here tonight to cleanse us of the fallout and of the crossfire. Amen. When Jesus saved me, he didn't allow my past sins to, to come and mess me up. He didn't allow addictions to come back. He didn't allow generational curses to continue playing out. God keeps his word, and his word we know is his son, Jesus Christ. John the Baptist said about Jesus, the Lamb of God, who t- the Lamb of God who takes the sins of the world. And the second sentence of that verse follows, and in that place where it was said to them, what place? Remember the places of pain, brokenness and defeat, those places. And in that place it was said to them, you are not my people. Notice that comma after my people. That means what was said, what God was saying was not final. God put a comma. It is just part of a greater statement. Don't you love God? That one thing in our lives would seem like it's the end, but it's really just a comma. There's a greater statement God wants to make about your life, about your situation. The next part of that verse says, after the comma, it says, it shall be said to them, children of the living God. Amen. Let's give God a clap offering tonight. What God is saying is that in the same place you felt separate from me is the same place where you'll feel I am with you. You know, you might be in that place tonight. It's Wednesday, Wednesday night. Uh, uh, Wednesday, it's Wednesday. Hump day. Midweek service. That's why we're here. Because we may be there right now. Or you might be there because you've never given your life to Jesus. The Bible tells us that if you don't come, the Bible says that if you're without Christ, we're, we're enemies of God. You might be in that place because you're backslidden and you chased other things like Hosea's wife. You went back to your lovers. You went back to the passing pleasures of this world. You're saved or you're in this place. You're saved, but maybe you feel like God hasn't answered your cries of Abba, Father. So you feel as if God has abandoned you. And it's not true. Don't believe the lie from hell. God wants to restore you. Because we serve an amazing God, he keeps his promise when we fail to keep our promises. And because he's true to himself, he always gives us an opportunity to choose life. Jesus, we know the Bible says, is the fulfillment of the law, the judgments, the precepts, and the statues of God. I made a comment about the comma after uh, not my people. And I used some scriptures earlier where I only read part of the scripture and there's a comma right right after a certain part of that sentence. But you see that's how God works. God will make us will make a statement, but it's not what's the the whole statement. So earlier I said for the wages of sin is death, comma, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Right? John 3, and this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and the people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. Now there's a period, but it says, but whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. 
Deuteronomy 5, you shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I am the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, comma, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. 1 Corinthians 6, he lists, you know, these are the people that won't inherit the kingdom. And then it says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Amen. Hallelujah. So what does this look like in real life? The way this sermon came about was over the course of a few years. You know, we all, like I said, we all go through things. There's places in our lives where there's pain. There, there's painful memories. There, there's this feeling like regret, failure, whatever. There may be a relationship with somebody. See, when I was five years old, before I was saved, I, 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 come, from a, uh, I come from L.A. And before I was even 10 years old, I tried committing suicide twice in the same place. I should have died at five years old. I should have died at 10 years old. But I didn't. God saved me before I even knew who he was. In January of 2021, I went to go bury my grandfather. I hadn't seen him in years. He was very sick. We knew he was going to pass away. And when we did, I went back for the first time. But now I was saved. And I was doing his funeral. I, be, I preached at his funeral. And when I went to go visit my uncles, I went to the place. I committed, tried committing suicide twice. And I just began to worship God. I took a picture of that place and I said, man, the devil thought he would he got me here. But now here I am alive, saved, clothing in my right mind. Amen. Hallelujah. My wife, uh, when she was younger, uh, uh, her parents are missionaries in the Dominican Republic. And when she was there the first time before me and her met, uh, she had a. Uh, issues with uh, uh, her ovaries and that they, they, it was so bad they told her she couldn't have uh, kids but when you know we met we got married and she actually got pregnant now we have two kids an area of now been made fruitful you know when my wife got pregnant the first time she miscarried uh, real bad and she almost herself died on New Year's Day, 3 o'clock in the morning, we're in the hospital. Or not New Year's Day, Thanksgiving Day. We're in the hospital. My wife's laying there. And this happened in Las Cruces. We were going to see family for Thanksgiving, and all this happened. A year later, we went to go visit them, but now we had a newborn baby boy. See, a place where we had lost a child, we now had a child. And God reminded me, I, I restored you. My wife began to have symptoms again after the first baby about uh, fertility, was having those same issues. My wife was starting, you know, we were getting scared, like, man, she's going through these problems again. What's going on? Why is this happening? And my wife began to live stream the January conference of, uh, of that year. I believe it was uh, 2022. And, um, oh, no, it was July conference of 2022. And she was hearing Pastor Greg Mitchell preach, and Pastor Greg Mitchell said, God's going to do creative miracles even through the live stream. And this was the day after he said that. My wife heard that, and she said she felt the presence of God come down 
And God spoke to her, I'm going to heal you. And literally within like a week or two weeks, she, we found out she was pregnant. See, I'm from Colleen. Most of y'all know me from the Colleen Church. I got saved in the Colleen Church. Um, but the situation came up where my wife and I, we had to go and try to fix these uh, uh, legal issues. If you ever have to deal with anything with your record, legal, it's, 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 a, it's a heartache, man. Two or three years just to get one thing done. So we had to leave, and there was this sour taste in our mouth. We didn't want to leave. We wanted to live our lives, serve God there. God was shifting us in a different direction. In this past uh, Memorial Day weekend, I went back to Colleen, and Pastor Rosario let me preach Sunday night. See, those places where it was painful, where it was bringing uh, uh, regret or, or feelings of like failure, feeling like God was not there, God brought me back to those same places in a short period of time and said, I've restored you. This is why I say, same place, different story. And I want to close with this. It makes me think about Joshua. Uh, when, you know, they, they, they're looking for water, the people of Israel, and they come to a place where there's water, but the water's bitter and they call it water. And they start saying, you know, why did God bring us out here? You know, he brought us out here to die. So now here's this place that was supposed to be a place where they can replenish themselves. But it's a place of bitterness. It's a place they don't want to be at. It's a place where they feel like they're going to die. But what does Moses do? He prays. He puts a, a stick in that bitter water. And the Bible says the, uh, the water was made sweet. This is a picture of what God does in those places of our lives. Those places where you feel like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get past this. God says, I'll make it sweet. I'll bring it back to life. I'll restore your mind. I'll give you victory over addiction. That generational curse doesn't have to be that way. It can be a generational blessing. Let's give God praise as we close our eyes. If we can close our eyes, bow our heads. <clears throat> Again, I appreciate you, uh, your time. I appreciate your pastor. But what I ministered on tonight was to encourage you. Because this is a very real place for a lot of us. We all go through things. We're just passing through this life, as they say. But as we pass this life, there are places... There are things that will be associated with areas of heartache, of pain, of discomfort, feeling like a, we were abandoned. But let me tell you something. When you serve Jesus Christ, he can turn those same places around and make them for his glory. He can give you a testimony. You don't have to walk in these places in your life with your head down discourage you can walk in them with joy with victory and dominion you're here in this place tonight and you're in a place where you know you're far from God where you know that you're far away from Jesus you are not part of the people of God and you know it because you're in your sin you're far from him but listen the Bible says for God uh, sent his one and only son into the world not, not, not that anyone should perish, but whoever believes of him shall have everlasting life. Listen, God wants to forgive you of your sins. 
God wants to cleanse you and wash you of your sins. If that's you in this place, you've never given your life to Jesus. And you feel the Holy Spirit dealing with you. I want you to raise your hand. I want you to lift your hand tonight. I see that hand right there. I see that hand right there. We're going to pray with you in just a moment. Thank you. Or maybe you're here in this place and you know. You know what it's like to serve God. But you're like, you're like Hosea's wife. She went back to her lovers. You went back to the world. You thought that was better than God. And listen, I've been there. I know what it's like to be far from God because of my decisions. Running from God. Not wanting to repent. But listen, God will chase you. Hosea went back to find his wife. And that's where the scripture says God is married to the backslider. Listen, if that's you, wants to restore those places in your life and you're a backslider, I want you to lift up your hand tonight. All right, those of you that lifted up your hands, uh, our brother right here, brother right here, if you could come forward, we're going to lead you in a simple prayer. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to have you talking on mic. We just want you to make a solid decision tonight to get your heart right with Jesus. I'm going to open up the, uh, the altar tonight. If you're part of the church and you feel that place in your heart where you're like, God, there's more than one place that bring pain and discomfort in my life. I need you to heal that area. I need you to restore that. I want you to come and pray. Lay hold of God tonight, church.